Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome, everyone, to the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. My name is Justin Cuthbert. Okay, so I owe you a little disclaimer off the top here. Not unlike everything else in the world, the situation demands that we shake things up a little bit here at Yahoo Sports. Not able to be at the rink, not able to be at the studio. It means we have to cover hockey in the NHL specifically a little bit different this year. But it's not all that bad. Because while those options are off the table, we have this incredible opportunity to cover a season that will be unlike any other. And we're going to do our best to cover the North Division first and all the other crazy things that are happening around the league in a season for which there is no precedent right here on the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. So basically, it's going to function here in two ways. First, we're going to break down all the important headlines and happenings every Sunday, and we'll have more information on my co-host when the season does get underway, and that'll be all exciting as well. And then second, we're going to empty out the Rolodex and have on some of the smartest, most interesting hockey men and women that we can find. And that interview series begins right now with Sportsnet's Chris Johnston. With CJ, we're going to touch on what the season looks like him working amid a pandemic, what the defining characteristic of the North Division will be, who should be feeling the most pressure with the Maple Leafs, the team he covers, and which Canadian market interests him the most outside of Toronto. It's the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Where else but on Yahoo Sports? Okay, anyone who knows me knows I'm very rarely thrilled, but I am, to introduce the debut guest on the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. He is the maker of headlines, the Drake of Coburg, the man with the fastest 10K time among accredited media members, and generally the happiest dude at the rink when he can be at the rink. It's Chris Johnson. CJ, what's happening? Man, that 10K time is a, I mean, you'd be maybe the only other other one I'm competing with. I guess Sean McKenzie too. Yeah, I was going to say you and Sean McKenzie, you got like the fittest stand-up tandem, perhaps, you know, across the country, I'm assuming. I mean, there's not much competition there, but I think you guys are probably uh, walk away with any like team fitness challenge at this point. Yeah, but again, that's like, I was going to make a, a maybe an unpolitically correct reference, but it's it's not exactly winning anything, I guess, in, in this group. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, I mean, you could give out like consolation or participation trophies, but I don't think anyone would be participating. So uh, there's no need for that. Uh, So I got to admit, uh, I knew you'd be the perfect guest for, you know, talking about the All-Canadian Division or previewing the All-Canadian Division, which we will do. But I was a little reluctant to have you on because, you know, it's a busy time, obviously. Tons of anticipation. It's an uncertain time, too. I mean, if you're mining for news at this point, you're probably, probably busy right now in the NHL. But... I I look back on this moment in Newfoundland. I think that was 16 months ago before the world sort of went to hell. Guys at at the Athletic were at the front of the room at this brewery doing a Puck Talks Live. And you were at the back holding court with like 10 fans. It was like a mini private Puck Talks. I, I assume why this was happening? Well, two reasons. Because you're an approachable guy and you just love to talk hockey. So for those reasons, I thought it wouldn't be too terribly inconvenient for you. No, it's not. I I actually love doing stuff like this. Um, You know, even sometimes, and I don't want to encourage too many people because during the season, it's harder, like random young kids have reached out and have gone on their podcasts. I I just think that we have to be cognizant that that people consume 
and, and these conversations differently. Not everyone's watching TV on Saturday night uh, these days or, or reading maybe the articles you or I are writing on our websites or are doing those sort of things. So I, I think it's important to try to reach people. It's funny, I, I actually gave some people in Newfoundland my, my phone number that night and still text with them. They, they you know, they want to ask about what's going on with the Leafs and that. And, it, you know, it's just, I, I think that I feel really lucky to have a chance to do this as my life. And so I want to try to spread it as much as I can, if that makes sense. And not to slander everyone else, but I think that sort of separates you. I mean, there's there's like this old guard at the rink and and I've, you know, in the last few seasons been able to go uh, and be around the Maple Leafs. And you're one of the more welcoming guys. You're one of the more approachable guys. Uh, and, and the pay it forward attitude, I think everyone who comes across appreciates not to gas you up too much, uh, but I thought it's worth saying that. Well, my last job before doing this was working at Wendy's in Coburg. So, you know, I mean, I had a couple of jobs in journalism along the way, but you know, for me, I, I recognize what else I could be doing, I guess, if that makes sense. And, and so, you know, I was all in on being a hockey writer. Somehow it paid off for me. I, I recognize there's tons of kids out there that want to do it. And sometimes I ask for advice and I'm just like, man, just go for it. I have no idea how this happened. And so I think that that's maybe allowed me to keep a proper perspective when it comes to this sort of thing. Spicy chicken's forever for me. I, I don't oh, know about man. you. I don't know what your Wendy's order is, but the spicy chicken is the is the elite fast food uh, sandwich, in my opinion. I don't know if I've eaten Wendy's in ten years, honestly. Like I, I and I certainly ate a lot in high school when I was working there, so I, I think I got my fill. Not not that it's bad or anything. I didn't see anything awful, but you know, I just I, I avoid it like the plague now. Okay, so let's jump right in because we got this Zoom call and, you know, we probably have another Zoom call with the Leafs and I'm sure you have 13 other Zoom calls today because that's all we really do at this point in our lives. Uh, so let's get into what is going to be mostly a Leaf discussion, but I want to ask you one question on every other All-Canadian uh, division uh, opponent the Leafs will have uh, just because I think it's worth touring the entire division. But first, I kind of want to know what this time is like for you professionally. I mean, we've seen you outside the rink. I, I know you're not allowed in the rink. I think everyone sort of understands that Toronto media is not allowed at the rink because it's just talked about so much. Um, so right now you're doing hits outside the rink, uh, but what's going to happen when the season begins? How different is this going to be for you? Uh, does it mean more panel, Chris? Uh, and what other opportunities are you looking for as, you know, we're all forced to pivot in this time? I think the biggest, well, the answer to that is on a couple levels. I mean, when it comes to just doing the job, this is, I find this a huge challenge and, and you're facing the exact same one. I mean, these Zooms are already destroying my soul and, you know, it's no one's fault. Like I'm, I'm not pointing the arrow at the Leafs PR staff or at the players. It's just hard to be engaged in the same way when everything is digital and virtual and everything is, you know, it's all on Twitter immediately. And, and that's just yeah. our colleagues doing their jobs too. Like I'm not, I'm not blaming anyone here, but it's really hard to, to tell an interesting story right now. And so I'm, I'm trying harder than ever, I would say, focusing on finding out things that people don't know, even just trivial details about a certain player. If you're writing about that player, I mean, I think it's key to try to find new ways to do the job because, you know, the way we were doing it a year ago at this time, it's, it's totally different. Um, when it comes to the season, I still don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, we're taping this on Friday. What is it? January 8th. The season mm -hmm. starts on Wednesday, January 13th. And I don't even know if I'm allowed to go to that game yet, I, you know, much like yourself. And yeah. so I don't know what sports stats plans are like, it, and this isn't to even throw my bosses under the bus. I, I just don't, it, it's, everything is so fluid. I've never seen anything like this. Like, I don't know if I'll be at that game, at least play Friday in Ottawa, like in a traditional season, I would go to all the road games. 
not played on a Saturday night. I, you know, I presume I'm not going to Ottawa in a week's time, but who knows? And, you know, Saturday headlines is, is as far as I know, supposed to come back. But even that, I mean, it's a, eight days from the first Hockey Night in Canada broadcast, and I don't know for sure if I'm on it. So this is really unique. You know, I'm, I'm not stressed about it because I recognize, first of all, there's a lot more important things going on. And, and secondly, it's not like the universe is conspiring against me. It's, it's making everyone's lives challenging right now. And so I'm going to roll with it. I don't, I don't know what this season looks like. I don't know what my job looks like, but, uh, you know, I'll be ready for whatever comes. Yeah, and there's multiple things, obviously, that you do. I mean, there's the day-to-day grind at the rink, which is, as you mentioned, yeah, we can do Zoom chats all we want, but it makes that part of the job harder. Uh, I assume that you guys will be able to do things in the broadcast studio eventually. But then the other thing is travel. The other part of it is travel, a part of your job and a part of many people's jobs uh, in sports, in in hockey media, rather. Uh, is there any hesitancy on your part to to begin traveling if that was an option? Like, do you want to be in Ottawa? on Saturday, given what's going on, or uh, it, would it be more comfortable to just sort of stay under the under the lights in the studio, uh, which would be, you know, a sanitized environment, I guess? Well, this is a selfish answer a little bit, but I'd love to be there. You know, I, I'd love to be traveling this season as normal. So I, I don't personally feel um, that concerned about it. You know, I went to Edmonton in September and, and basically spent the month there and covered the conference finals and Stanley Cup final. You know, it was a weird experience. I mean, the biggest, most obvious thing in that situation was, you know, the one thing you can't do really is go to restaurants and the like. And when you're on the road, you can't prepare your own food or it's very difficult to prepare your own food. And so, you know, I it was kind of hard to, to rectify those two things. And obviously that challenge would still be there. I didn't find the act of going to the airport or flying. You know, I'm sure there might be some heightened risk in that, but it didn't it didn't feel too bad. And, you know, maybe I'm still a bit naive, but, you know, I, I, I would do that if my bosses wanted me to, but, you know, I don't get any indication from them. I, I don't think that we'll be traveling maybe this whole season, but certainly to start this season. And I'm not raising any fuss about it, but, but personally, my level of comfort is high with it. Um, you know, I, I, I really think that what's lost in this, honestly, is we, we don't know what's happening. Like, and I, I get the average fan probably doesn't really care that much, but not being able to mm-hmm. see what's happening on the ice, like I, I don't bring much value to the world, it, like the hockey world. If, if, if I can't be watching practice, if I can't tell you, I mean, I can tell more what Sheldon Keefe thinks about his players watching the way everything happens every day than I can by just repeating what he says on a zoom call. And right. so, you know, when you think about the primary function of our job is to, to be the eyes and ears of, of people that, that can't get as close to the team as we can, you know, being held at this distance for too long, you know, I'll be irrelevant. And, and, um, you know, maybe I'm being a little bit extreme with that, but I, I think it's really important to, to, to get as close as you can get. And so I would absolutely sign up to go, but you know, I don't really think that's going to happen. He can also control the message. Like we've seen, I mean, as much as, uh, they can show what they want and say what they want at practices and at press conferences. You you see a window into what he's actually thinking when you see what's happening on the ice. And then he can come on a Zoom and with his opening statement sort of tell you exactly what he wants reported and what he wants out there uh, because he's completely controlling the message and you're not allowed to ask a question based off what you saw at practice. So I think it, it makes things a little bit easier for them in that sense. It, although, you know, I, I don't think... 
I, I don't, don't necessarily think that's a problem for them, but uh, it, at least it gives them a chance to control the message. And I think they're actually trying to give news. And I think Sheldon Keefe it, it tried to do that with the Thornton thing, uh, but we'll get to that a little bit later. I do want to ask you one more question, uh, sort of in the in the lead up to what we're going to talk about most, which is hockey. Uh, I ran into you, you know, we talked a couple of points in the pandemic, heard you on the radio a few times and podcasts. And I understand that, you know, keep expectations low thing, but... I didn't find that you were overly, overly bullish on what the league was trying to accomplish. Uh, that was mostly over the summer. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about what they were trying to do in the fall as well. Uh, but with cases on the rise here and you're, you know, against the backdrop of you not necessarily seeming that optimistic before, where is your head at on whether the NHL is going to be able to, you know, get this season off, comp- uh, you know, get it off safely, get it off the ground safely and complete it in a, you know, in a, in a in a manner in which it would you know protect the integrity as we as we heard Bettman say, uh, but just get to the finish line. I I guess I'm trying to say. I I'm a little more bullish now, strangely enough, even though the caseloads are higher than when we were speaking in June and July, and it's mostly just because I I've got more information and and the information is seeing, you know, and it's not been perfect, but the way the NFL has managed to get it you know through its season and and through some challenges. And, you know, what's happening over in Europe with some of the soccer leagues and that, I mean, basically sports have proven on whole that they can power through. And Mm -hmm. there's probably a different moral conversation about whether that's the right thing to be doing uh, or not. And and I'm not sure I'm the the one to be making that judgment anyway. I'm I'm clearly heavily biased towards this is where I get a lot of the fun in my life. And it's certainly how I make my my living. Um, But, you know, I'm more confident just in terms of the endeavor actually getting off the ground and being seen, seen through to the end, because I think we've seen that, that sports have been able to overcome outbreaks within teams. Uh, they've been able to reschedule games and find ways to make it work. You know, I don't think this is going to be, uh, it, this isn't going to be an easy season, but I do think the league is going to get through the season. And, you know, certainly we're moving into a time, I think as we get through the winter, more and more people are getting vaccinated. You know, I, I find it a little strange maybe because I'm just colored in the Canadian point of view that we're going to have fans in so many buildings in the U S I find Mm. that part a little weird, but you know, I I just think with the protocols the leagues put in place um, that they're going to be able to play this year. And and look, we're probably going to see a game or two moved. You know, it's hard to predict that, but it just seems it's happened everywhere else. I I wouldn't be naive enough to think that it won't happen here. And, you know, as we're speaking this morning, the Dallas stars have called off a practice. So, you know, maybe it's starting right now. I mean, I, I don't know the circumstances beyond that right now, but it's unusual for when you have eight potential days to have training camp practice, I'm guessing you're not going to call one off at the last minute unless you've been forced to. So, um, you know, it's safe to assume that, that it's going to be a bumpy season, but I do think they're going to find their way through. And, and I guess the benefit for the NHL being the last to start, I mean, like they obviously got it off the ground before the NFL had to start, but the NFL had to trudge its way through an entire season. And that's what the NBA has just started to do. And that's what the NHL is going to do. And a big part of that is going to be the North Division. So let's get into our discussion uh, about, about hockey because, you know, as much as we bemoan all the all the Zoom calls we have to do talking about COVID and its implications is uh, equally exasperating. So the North Division to me comes with a d- degree of unanimous approval among Canadian hockey fans. So I'm going to put it to you this way. Where are you on the spectrum of, okay, this is pretty cool, but just this once to this is going to be the greatest four months of hockey ever. The borders shall remain closed and Canadian teams should just play each other exclusively moving forward. So where are you uh, on that sort of spectrum? I'm more on the, this is going to be awesome. Like I have no reservations at all about it for one season, but I don't 
think that it's going to be something we really want to see forever. You know, for one, the novelty is going to be part of the excitement here. And mm. I, I just think if you had this as a long-term solution or a long-term plan, you know, we would probably tire at some point of seeing these teams play each other eight times a year, nine times a year, 10 times a year, whatever would end up being over an 82 game schedule or whatever the future alignment would look like. I think in this one year, it's going to be okay. Uh, you know, you might get a little tired of Winnipeg versus Ottawa at some point or whatever, pick two random Canadian opponents. But in general, I do think that the excitement level is warranted. And, and the fact it's maybe not a full season will even help that. It's going to feel like a sugar rush here after you know not having <laughs> any, uh, you know, any hockey for a while. And, and I just, I, I do think at this particular moment in time too, I mean, with so many star players and young star players in, in these markets, I, I just, I think it's going to be awesome. But the, the, the travel would become an issue over a long period of time. And I, and I do think that it would be too much of a good thing over many, many seasons. So I'm all in for one season, but you know, I won't be, I don't think at the end of it calling for this to become the new standard moving forward. You don't have to answer this, but how good is the North division going to be for the network you work for? I hope it's awesome. You know, I still don't really understand TV. Like, I'm just a guy who works there a little bit. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't, I don't have a full picture. Cause I, from what I gather, there's some challenges now, because if you think about a normal schedule, you know, with seven Canadian teams, when they're playing American opponents on some Saturday nights, you theoretically could have seven games involving Canadian teams, which is more product to sell, I guess, to the, to the mm. fans. Whereas now on a Saturday night, there can only be a maximum of three games involving Canadian teams because they're all head to head. And so I think that there actually is some challenges with that. I, and I'm not even being quiet here. I just don't totally understand why that is bad, but I don't think it's all good. But clearly yeah. this should create, you know, excitement in Canadian markets. I think a, a more sustained level of excitement. I think the fact that we're guaranteed to have two rounds that feature, of course, at, at the start, two all Canadian matchups and then a third one in the second round and that one Canadian team reaches the conference final at minimum, I mean, that has to be good for business. You know, I, yeah. I'm not I'm not out there selling the ads, but I have to believe those series are going to have a lot of eyeballs on them here in Canada and you, where you watch the playoffs in Canada is on Sportsnet. So that's, you know, a good property for our, our network to have. So I think on balance, it's, uh, it's an awesome thing for Sportsnet, but I do think that there are some challenges built into it, but you're, you're going to need someone smarter than me about the media landscape and how ads are sold and eyeballs are delved to, to get more deep into it than that. Yeah, three rounds of meaningful hockey involving a Canadian team has to sort of take away any of the pain of not having, you know, a fourth or fifth game on hockey night, I would assume. Uh, but you're right. I mean, I, we're both not smart enough to know exactly how that affects uh, the business. Uh, well, look, I'm all look, in. Since, look, since we've look. had the deal, like I can't remember what year that started. I think this is year six. We had Winnipeg go to the conference final in 2018. You know, we've had no Canadian teams really go on meaningful runs. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think that's made the deal more challenging to sell because obviously we get into May and June in typical times with the end of the playoffs. And if there's no Canadian teams around and the weather's turning nice across the country, like people aren't watching as much. It's just, right. I think it's, it's common sense. It doesn't mean the sport sucks or that people don't care. It's just priorities are different. I think it's going to be that like this playoffs in particular, I think will be bananas in Canada. I think the hype will be crazy. Maybe it's all battle of Alberta. Maybe it's Toronto, Montreal, whatever, even if it's two random matchups, Winnipeg, Calgary, whatever. I think they're all it'll good. Still be, it'll still be more interesting for the fans, and I think the hype and 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 all that. So let's hopefully uh, get some money in Sportsnet's pockets because it's been a tough <laughs> year. 
so we've identified one downside, but the classic thing in hockey is when one issue is addressed or steps are taken toward a solution, it creates another bevy of problems. Hello, offside review. So what are we missing here for the fan standpoint? How is the North division going to blow up in our faces and the face of the NHL? Because every time we think we have the solution, it seems there's another problem on the other side. Oh, that's a great question. I don't, I don't know if we're missing anything. I mean, honestly, the one thing that, that jumps to mind is maybe people will actually hate seeing their team play the same teams over and over and over again. You know, that even though it's two Canadian teams and we can hype it up a certain way, that at some point, you know, Toronto versus Ottawa is going to get bored, boring by the fourth week when they've already played mm-hmm. three or four or five times. That, that, that to me is the only potential. But, but I, still, I still don't think that's as bad because, let's face it, in a normal schedule – you know, Ottawa versus Minnesota probably doesn't fire up Senators fans all that much. So, you know, pick your poison here. Is it is it too much of seeing Toronto or Montreal or Winnipeg? Or is it, you know, it, is that actually worse than seeing some of the random American teams that you only play once or twice a year? You know, I, I, I don't I don't think this is going to blow up. I, I think it might blow up in a positive way. I think there might be an explosion of interest. Yeah. Um, but I don't see I, I don't see there's that much that can trip us up here. Maybe I'm I'm just not the visionary we need for this, this answer. My only concern and the only thing that I could come up with as a possible answer is that it's possible that these divisions become non-competitive quite quickly. Because there's all this talk about, okay, you're playing each other, you can make up ground. But if it goes the opposite way and all of a sudden you're 20 points behind, you know, a couple months in, maybe things aren't that interesting anymore for, say, the Ottawa Senators or one of the other Canadian teams or, or a team from another division that just quickly falls behind. And yes, you can make up those points and make up, you know, four points in one night. Uh, but if you suddenly lose a string of those games, then all of a sudden you're way out of it and you you can never really find traction. I think that's maybe one thing. Maybe the races aren't as good as we think they could potentially be. That's fair. And, you know, I think the one thing that, that works so in the North Division, and, and obviously we'll touch on this when we get deeper into it. I I think the teams are pretty close, you know, other Mm. than Ottawa. And so, you know, maybe it's less of a concern for this specific division, but, you know, some of the others where you have, you know, say the California teams all together and potentially all three of them not really being competitive for a playoff spot. And and you also have, you know, Vegas, Colorado, St. Louis in that division, like that's a division where you might have like three teams at the top running away with it. And then the teams below them, not really battling it out in a meaningful way. You know, I think that's probably more of a worry there. Whereas, I just think it's such a kind of a dogfight in, in the North division for how it's all going to shake out that, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, it's more compelling, you know, right from start to finish. Yeah. I think the North division, maybe not the best candidate for that, but the central, I mean, that could get top heavy really quickly. Um, since we do think it'll be competitive, uh, you could go with this answer for the last question I'm going to ask on the all Canadian division, but what do you think the defining characteristic will be of the North division when all is said and done? I think it's going to look like the 1980s for a good period of time in this division. I, I, I think that it's going to be remembered for getting people excited and just tons of offense and, and the star players having big nights, especially early in the year. You know, I actually think this is going to be really special. Like I see like a team North America at the world cup vibe to this division mm-hmm. a little bit and not just because some players that were on that team are the stars of the division. But I, I think that I really think that this is like, this moment in history that hockey fans are going to be like, remember that crazy year when this happened? Like, I, I, I don't see, I think this is going to be damn exciting. Honestly, all these fan bases are starved in, in different ways, 
but you know, none of the, obviously no Canadian team has won the cup since 1993. You know, one of the seven teams knows right now for sure they're in the conference final and all of these teams have something to get excited about. And I think it's going to be like six, five games for a while. So I think it's going to be remembered honestly for just this crazy confluence of events that make hockey really get hockey exciting in Canada again. And, and so I'm really bullish on this whole experiment. I think it's going to be cool. I don't think the Vesna Trophy winner, even though the reigning Vesna Trophy winner is from the North, um, is going to come from the North this season because I just think there's going to be goals galore. As you mentioned, 80s, 6-5 hockey. I mean, you mentioned all the talent in the Canadian division. If you go through the list of players, it is actually pretty remarkable how many must-see performers are going to play on these seven teams. And they're going to be on television each and every night playing against each other. Uh, I Again, I don't want to be too pessimistic. And I, I tried to, you know, figure out if there was a negative. But I, I can't see myself not being more engaged this year than I ever have. Just because, you know, I, I just get up more for Connor McDavid playing in Toronto. And we're going to see that so many times this year. And we only usually see it once a year. And we're, it's, we're just going to be treated to so many good matchups. And I think... The, the the best part of it is that the stars in this division are mostly offensive players. So we're going to just see their talents be sort of accentuated that much more. And it just means you're not seeing the Norris Trophy or the Selkie probably won out of this division either. Uh, but, not to say that there aren't just a few good defensemen in that. I just think it doesn't set up well for them. You know, what's interesting is there's a, a series of three games, Toronto in Edmonton. I think it's the last day of February and then a couple days early in March. Like three games in five days, Leafs, Oilers, like, the Leafs and Oilers have met three times in the last two years and, mm -hmm. and to see them play in a five day stretch when they're in the same division, potentially they're separated by a couple points. Maybe Matthews and McDavid are having monster year. Like I just think the hype of that will be insane. And you know, these guys are competitive too. Like they're all paying attention to what the others are doing and now they're going to be going head to head with them the whole year. I mean, it's hard to imagine a negative here, honestly, like it's, it's not perfect. There isn't a perfect in the world. But I think this is like a dream scenario coming out of, you know, what we've been through in the last year in this sport. And even if it's not quite meeting the expectations we're setting for it, I think it's still going to be way better than a typical year in the Canadian markets. There may be no need, and I'm not making any accusations here for a Canadian media bias because they just might be on the stage that allows them to perform at the very height of their abilities. And there are so many players that can be, you know, shine amongst not just the, you know, their division, but in the entire league. I mean, we could talk about Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews winning trophies at the end of the year because they're just in the situation to maximize their talent. Uh, and, and I think that's what's so exciting about this division. Now let's get to all the different teams here. And I want to start with the Leafs. Obviously, we'll have a, a little bit more of an expanded discussion on the Leafs. Then I'm going to ask you one question about the other uh, six teams. Um, but, you know, we both hang around the Leafs dressing room a lot or when we can. Uh, so I, I think it's... Uh, we should spend a little bit more time there. Um, and for probably the opposite way in that Jason Spezza was front and center at the beginning of last year, I think Jordan, Joe Thornton's going to dominate the headlines to start this season. Uh, I just want your take on the bomb that Sheldon Keefe dropped at his first media appearance, the idea of Thornton skating with Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews, and how this will all function uh, when they get rolling. Because uh it's it's a really you know it's this really exciting idea and it's the best for the fans best to write about best to talk about um but it's not as simple as just throwing those three guys out there every night shift over shift because i don't think that's within joe thornton's capabilities anymore so what is your take on what the leafs are planning to do uh with that number line number one line in particular well i sort of applaud the spirit of the idea 
Uh, I, I'm a little <laughs> hesitant to think that it's going to be a long-term solution or something that has massive amounts of success. Um, I'm with you. I mean, look, he's 41 years old. It's not to say it, it can't happen. You know, Yarmir Yager had a pretty productive season on the Panthers top line at 43. So, you know, that we have seen in, in relatively recent history evidence that this can work under the right circumstances. You know, I, I think the fact that, that Joe is going to be used as a winger and, and you know, look, Sheldon Keith has actually been pretty open about the fact it's not like he gets every shift from those guys. I think what that the sort of working theory behind it is, is that Zach Hyman will still take some spot, take some shifts within a game on the top line left wing. And, and so Joe won't necessarily be playing, you know, whatever, 14, 15, 16, even strength minutes in the game. You know, mm-hmm. I, I do like the idea of pairing them together, though. I mean, this guy is one of the best passers in, in modern NHL history. And, you know, you have to believe, at least on a power play unit, it makes sense to have him with the most dangerous shooter in the game right now in Austin Matthews. You know, I, I think that makes sense in, in theory. And so I like where they're starting. But, you know, this was part of getting Joe Thornton to Toronto. Uh, I don't think it was the only piece that brought him here, but this was part of the sales pitch is that he would get a chance to play with these guys. So you know, I think that they have to give it some runway, see if it works, go into it with modest expectations and, and you know, adjust as, as it goes along. But, you know, the, the way the Leafs are constructing their lines this year, you know, it looks to me like the most important line, at least in the coach's mind, sort of his his strongest chain is is that third line uh, with Jaime Mikheyev and Kerfoot. And when, when you work with that theory, if you kind of. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Go through the players. It's going to, it's going to, it involves one of sort of the lesser stars having to play with the big stars. And so, you know, whether it's Thornton, Jimmy VC, maybe Wayne Simmons, he's some time up there, you know, maybe a Nick Robertson at some point, if he, he cracks his way into the forward group. I mean, we're going to have to see Matthews and Marner with, you know, a player that that's that someone is going to be perceived as being dragged along by them or, or you know, risen up by them. And so why not Thornton to start and, and we'll see where it ends up. I'm sure we both wrote on numerous occasions um, about the idea of surrounding Matthews and Marner, I think specifically with role models, with veteran voices. Uh, and they have been to this point, like they've made a concerted effort into that. But I don't think the influence and maybe uh, maybe it's not completely flair, fair. But I'm not sure the influence has been that profound, maybe as people have made it seem. Like, with all due respect to a guy like Patrick Marlowe, he isn't Thornton or Simmons uh, in the same way that Thornton and Simmons have this presence, have this, you know, character, likability factor. Um, I don't think the Leafs have had a Thornton or Simmons before. So how important is this to 
have this insulation for those two guys specifically, I think, or am I sort of inflating what Thornton and Simmons do bring from an off-ice perspective? I don't think you're inflating it at all. I mean, my read on these moves, quite honestly, Justin, is that the Leafs viewed themselves as not having enough personality that, that, you know, I think especially in that series against Columbus, they just felt like they went away quietly. I mean, for me, probably the defining moment of that series, and, and I'm not a big fight guy, was that Jason Spezza fought, right? I mean, yeah. like, I, I to me, that's almost shaming his teammates. Like, I'm an old man out here fighting. We're down 3 nothing. It ended up being in that game. They, they scored the three goals late and won 4-3, game four to, to force the game five. But I, I think that they're just – because we know the players care, right? Like, I think it's a lazy sports narrative. Like, these guys don't give a shit. But I think the give a shit meter needs to be a little higher there. There needs to be something to drag that out of them. And, and to me, that's what the Thornton, Simmons, maybe to a lesser extent, Bogosian, um, you know, acquisitions are about. Obviously, it's there's, there's, there's things that these guys do on the ice that are valued. But I think that they want this team to have some more personality. I mean, Sheldon Keith mentioned it one of the first days at camp. He liked that there was more chatter on the ice and good chatter during a practice. You know, I think mm-hmm. that they felt like the team was was missing some of that, that that whatever. I mean, it's an intangible. It's 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 supposed to be sort of the stuff that Kyle Dubas has been criticized maybe for not caring about, right? I mean, the, and and this administration and and clearly to me that they made moves this offseason to address it. And I think it's interesting to see how it turns out. I, you know, I don't know what Thornton has left as a player. I don't even know what Simmons has left as a player. He's much younger, but you know, he's had some injury issues, and obviously his last two seasons in particular, there, there's some discouraging trends there in terms of where his career is at. But, um, you know, I think it's an interesting gamble that you know, I think the Leafs look at it and they think we got more than enough scoring with these, just the core of this team. And, you know, I think they, they feel they've made improvements on the defensive side, but I think they also think that there's got, they need some personality when they, they face the big moment that maybe we haven't seen in these last couple of playoff runs. I, I think Th- Thornton and Simmons certainly play into this, but my theory is that, the the situation where you know there's no media in the room and there's they they don't have to be trotted out every day and you know the press conferences are going to be few and far between i think that is going to help them this year i think they can be just more of a hockey team like bring it back to its you know strip it down to its core which is just a bunch of guys who play a sport come together and enjoy being together and i think thornton and simmons are really going to help that i think there's other guys that are in the room that can also help with that and you mentioned other guys that they brought in but i think the Leafs, if they're just a team, just a team that comes together and plays hockey and can sort of lose themselves in that, I think it's something that's going to help them this year. It's a great point, and I hadn't really thought of it, but look at the other conditions of this season. I mean, there's no fans in any of the buildings in Canada. In my opinion, we won't see them at all this season. We'll see when we get to the summertime, mm-hmm. I guess. And then these, there's really tight restrictions on what the players can do. I mean, for all intents and purposes, on the road, they can't even go to a restaurant at this point. Uh, you know, they, they can leave the hotel for walks and then get some fresh air that way. But otherwise, all the meals are meant to be eaten at the hotel. I mean, they're going to be and the Leafs aren't alone in this, but they're going to be just a tight unit. They're completely untouched from the outside, not just media, but fans. I mean, they're not they're, they're not really going shopping, you know, or whatever. I mean, th- there's no outside interest. And their social lives sort of have to be put on hold here as well. Not saying that's an issue or a problem, but there will probably be more of focus on just what they're doing every day because you can't focus on anything else. Exactly. This season is just hockey and this is for everyone, but I think that we might reasonably say that that could work in their favor, that, 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 that any distractions that are typically there in a year. Um, and, and let's face it, there's more noise around this team than any other team in the league. And mm-hmm. 
it's just mostly going to be muted. I, I don't even see us media guys really bothering them. I mean, Austin Matthews, he's speaking for the second time today and, and camp's been on for six days. And, and again, it's not a criticism of the PR staff. It's just the world we're in right now. And, and so I, I just think a lot is going to be easier on them, even though, you know, in our outside lives, things are hard. We can't see our friends mm -hmm. and family. We can't do all the things we'd like to be doing. Uh, but I think from a professional standpoint, their jobs are going to be easier. Should Maple Leaf fans be more disappointed than they seem to be that this offseason didn't result in them uh, agreeing to a contract with Alex Petrangelo? No, I don't think so. You know, as much as I think Petrangelo is a pretty big gamble, even for Vegas. And it's not because I'm down on him as a player, but I just look at the age uh, that, that he's at and what they would have had to pay him and what the resulting roster chaos would have been. Mm -hmm. Um you know, while he was a perfect fit in a lot of ways, I just think the answer for them wasn't going to be that kind of free agent at this point. And so, you know, I'm still skeptical, honestly, just of what Vegas had to trade away to make room for him. I mean, I'm open to being wrong on this one. I'm not coming out and saying they gave up too much by just having to give away Nate Schmidt and Paul Stastny. I mean, obviously, Petranzo is a special player. In Vegas in particular, they haven't had a meaningful right-shot defenseman in their history, their brief history here. And, and for them, I, I think that – he addresses a need that they feel like they've had all along. I mean, they were in the talks to get Eric Carlson a couple years ago when he was available for that exact same reason. And so, you know, for them, they feel like they've plugged this hole that's been there. Um, but, you know, it creates other holes. It's a zero-sum game when, when you have a hard salary cap. And, and right now we're feeling the effects of that cap directly because it's not going to go up uh, too much in the next number of years. And so, you know, I think I think it would have created more problems than it, than it would fix to have signed him at the number that, that he's worth right now. So... You know, I, I don't see that as a huge issue, but, you know, that being said, they, they still have something to prove with this blue line. And, and I like the additions, but on paper could be different than reality. How would you grade Dubas's offseason? Given the constraints he's under, I, I give it a high grade, like nine out of 10. I, I really mm -hmm. like, I like what they got done with a, a minimum amount of cap space. I, I think already we can say the cap and trade that he got tremendous value on that. And I think he was smart to jump the market. Uh, because he made that trade before teams like Vegas basically had to give away uh, Nate yeah. Schmidt for nothing and Stastny for nothing. You know, he got value back. He had the 15th pick and 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 a prospect that at least seems to have, you know, I would say moderate to slightly above moderate uh, prospects of being an NHL player. So, you know, it's hard to really and, and, and arguably replaced a lot of what Kaplan can do if you look at the underlying metrics for, in Jimmy Vesey at that next to nothing. I, I think you know, it's probably not a perfect offseason um, because maybe you wait longer and you get Corey Perry at 700,000 instead of Wayne Simmons above a million. You know, like you can still quibble with mm -hmm. some of the the, the 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 small details. But I think on 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 the whole, uh, I think he was right to be to roll back with the core again, uh, even though initially I thought that the way they went down against Columbus meant that they should break it up with more thought. I, you know, I think that, that he's smart to just keep coming back to the table with with the key parts of his hand and 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 hope that they hit on the river or whatever to make the card analogy but um you know i really think it was a strong off season for this front office and it had to be because you know obviously the pressure is going to mount around kyle uh if, if they don't have success here soon yeah i i think i honestly think kyle do sort of alleviated some of the pressure on him with his performance in the off season because 
I don't know how you can look at the roster and not think that this is the best that they put on paper in a very long time. And I'm, I know I said the exact same thing last year, and we came to learn that Tyson Berry was a terrible fit. I think we knew what we saw in Cody Cece, and I think that was definitely a mistake, not just not not necessarily trading for him, but giving him what he got in that on that one year deal, four and a half million, just sort of prevented them from putting together a good defense. But uh, I don't know how you can look at this team and not think that he did a tremendous job and put them in a position to win. So that leads me to my last question, which would be, assuming you agree with me that the pressure is off Dubis at least right now, January 13th, or I guess it's January 8th, but January 13th, he put together a pretty good roster. I don't think, probably the best roster in the division. So now it's on everybody else to perform. So if the the pressure is going to come around, obviously, to Dubis again if it fails. But who has the most pressure to on them to perform as of opening night on the Leafs roster. I think or it's Frederick within Anderson. The yeah. I think it's Frederick Anderson myself, just because it's a contract year for him and he's coming off his worst statistical season as an NHL goaltender, his worst season by extension then of the four he's had in Toronto. And he's sort of the one guy that can maybe undo some of the good that's been done here. And, you know, he's also not oblivious, I'm, I'm assuming, to the fact that the organization did explore other options pretty aggressively in the offseason, yeah. which I think is smart to do. Look, every offseason, every team should be looking at where they can get better. I, I don't I don't know that it's an indictment on him that they looked at other goaltenders. I mean, you, you could spin it the other way and say they looked at other goaltenders and decided none of them were worth acquiring for what it would have cost instead of him. And I think actually that's what happened. They, they, they basically looked around and they couldn't be 100% sure, especially once Robin Leonard resigned, which happened initially, never actually mm-hmm. became truly a free agent in Vegas, that they couldn't be sure that any of the other options available were better than what they had. And so that, I think, ultimately is why they didn't act on, you know, any of the discussions they had or, or bring someone in that way. But, you know, just all that, that stuff that happened with Freddie and, and the fact that, look, there's there's a narrative issue with Freddie. And, and I don't know if it's true or not, but, you know, it's come to the game sevens. It came to the game five against Columbus, he's let in some bad goals. Even game one in Columbus, you know, it's a 0-0 game into the third period. The Leafs are actually playing a pretty contained style in a way that people question whether they could, essentially. And then it's a soft goal off the rush that beats them and essentially loses that game. You know, I I think that there's a question about whether he can rise to the moment still around him. And so, you know, he's got a lot to prove just for his own career. And I think he that, that the team's success hinges so heavily on him you know, well, I, I like Jack Campbell as a backup. I, I'm not sold that he can be a long-term number one option on a team that, that hopes to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, so, you know, I think that he has the most individual pressure of any member of the organization, you know, today. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, at least from an on-ice perspective. I think Frederick Anderson, obviously, this is an opportunity he has, hasn't had before, which is capable support behind him. And I think that's very important. Obviously, this is such a, a one-off year where the schedule is condensed and you would need that regardless. I mean, if they came in with Michael Hutchinson as their, as their backup this year, uh, they'd be in serious, serious trouble. Um, but I think you're right. I think he's the one without the contract next season. He's the one that plays the most important role in the playoffs. And that's really all that matters is getting to the playoffs and performing in the playoffs. Uh, but I think Mitch Marner, John Tavares, TJ Brody, I think, you know, this, this team is going to function best when it has someone who can play elite minutes, not, not necessarily elite minutes, but really, really reliable top four minutes on that right side. So he's very important for this year. Marner and Tavares, I think, have to have sort of, you know, they have to, I, I wouldn't say they had difficult years. Marner, I guess, had a difficult year. But Tavares, I think you want to see him at least maintain what he's had uh, rather than take another step 
step back because if he does take a step back, then the whispers are going to be out for him. And that's not going to be a, a, a very, it could be a little bit of a toxic issue growing if that becomes something, but you're right. I think it's, it's Freddie Anderson in terms of on ice, but off the ice, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Sheldon Keefe. As I mentioned before, this is the most talented roster we've seen. Uh, they have this tremendous opportunity where they don't have to play Boston and Tampa in the first and second round of the postseason. Uh, it's on him to make sure that this team achieves better results because how else can you justify basically setting fire to $20 million in the rest of Mike Babcock's contract if he can't get it done in this situation? So I think... The pressure from Dubis, Dubis has now shifted to Keefe just because, you know, the time on the calendar. Uh, and I think it's very, very important that he performs. And obviously uh, his performance might just hinge on Frederick Anderson performing as as sort of um, unfair as that be, is and really in hockey. Well, and let's let's game theory this out. Like if things don't go well, if, if, if they miss the playoffs or if they lose in the first round again, I mean, and obviously the circumstances of how those things happen will be key to how people react. But we're going to be looking for someone to blame. And right. if, if not you and I individually, I just mean the fan base, the, the other media members, what, what have you. And so who is going to take that heat? I mean, you're, you're right to point out Tavares, the captain, the guy who signed a big contract, you know, Freddie's obvious, especially if he falters individually and, and you're right, Keith would be the next one. I mean, he's largely gone uncriticized, probably fairly. I mean, look, he, he got thrown in mid season, you know, I, I don't know that we can, it's it's too soon almost to reach judgments on what he is or isn't as an NHL head coach at this point, but the, this is his first test. And he said it himself, like he said, he feels like this is his team for the first time because he had a role in the offseason additions. He had a role obviously in selling guys like Joe Thornton to come here. And now it's it's his job to make it work and, and to find a way to put all these guys in a position to succeed. And if he doesn't, I, I'm not saying he'll be fired after the year. I mean, no, you, you, but He'll he'll be under a considerable considerable amount more heat come the fall mm -hmm. than, than he is right now, and he's actually he's saying no excuses. Like behind the scenes, that's one of their their sort of mantras is that this season this is a season without excuse, and so I think that we can take that as media members and say, well, there's no excuses then if you guys don't perform. I mean, someone's going to have to be held to account for that. No, I don't. I don't see how you come into this year considering the circumstances and, and tr try to dangle an excuse out there. There just it, it has to happen this year, or it, not necessarily something has to happen. But then the 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 criticism, while valid to this point, I mean, there's no getting around it. There's no oh, it was just you know Keith midseason. It's difficult to really get a grasp of the team. You know, they just started in a bubble. Yes, this year is not the you know. This year is not ideal. Again, he still hasn't had that normal training camp, and he keeps mentioning that that he's that he hasn't had that opportunity to really settle in, and he hasn't. But at this point, you just can't make an excuse because it's it is right there for the taking for them, uh, and, and there's no really getting around that. Right, and they had like 35 guys skating for at least a month together here before camp opened. Like, and that was the case in the summer too, wasn't it? Not 35 necessarily, but they were ready. Like this is we have no excuses is sort of the mantra they came to the bubble with as well. Yeah, it's true. And, and it didn't manifest itself there, but it, I mean, some of that could just be sample too, right? It's five games. Okay. It didn't go their way, whatever. I'm not going to say that it was wrong to have guys together, but in this case, like they got time to work through it. If, if they start a little slow, what have you mm -hmm. a little bit, like there's a little bit more room to judge whether it was a good strategy, but you know, guys like Frederick Anderson, who, who typically doesn't spend a summer here, you know, has been here for at least six to seven weeks before the season started. 
you know, obviously there's a whole bunch of locals like Marner and Spezza and Hyman that live here basically year round anyway, but there's more guys. Riley didn't go back to Vancouver after the, the loss to Columbus that there's more and more of the players have been together. And so even though, yeah, it's not a normal training camp, blah, 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 blah. I mean, they've all been on the ice together that the spirit of the team should be different as a result. And I, I, I think it should be, I don't want to call it an advantage, but I think it should be a positive for them anyway. Okay, let's get to the other six teams because we don't have too much time. Uh, I know, as we mentioned, we were joking about Zoom calls, but the fact of the matter is Zoom calls await. So uh, I want to jump into it this way. Uh, If you had to give up the Leafs beat for one season, let's say you could solve all the world's problems by just lending your reporting chops to a different beat for 2021, and you're not infringing on Angles or Speck or McIntyre in this fantasy world either, which of the six other Canadian teams would you choose to cover? Vancouver. I, I'm okay. endlessly fascinated by the Canucks as a rule, just because I find their Twitter to be hilarious. And <laughs> you want to wade in those waters, eh? I, I want to jump right into the pool. And obviously, <laughs> I, the great city, which I know wasn't part of your criteria, but I'm assigning my own to it. And, you know, I love Pedersen and Hughes. And I do think, you know, from a from a story standpoint or from a job standpoint, there's a there's a high degree of volatility around that team this year. Like, yeah. To me, they're the one that 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 has reasonable like the expectations. I think are fair because they, they did do okay in the bubble. They you know they they got through a couple of playoff rounds, the playing round in the first round. But you know I, I have concerns about their offseason. I have concerns about their makeup of their bottom six and their blue line. And I wonder about letting Markstrom go if it doesn't work with Demko and Braden Holtby coming off the two worst years of his career. So I, I just think it might work. It might blow up. And I just think that there'll be stories galore there. And, and plus you have two of the better young players in the league. So all that put together in a great city, that's, that's the beat I'm claiming. Would you say they're the one team hurt most by the establishment of the all Canadian division? I, I, yes, I think so. Because they, they would be much better situated, I think in the other division. Plus, you know, obviously there's, there's travel will come into this on some level. I, I know that, mm. you know, they're, they're coming out here and playing multiple games when they, when they come East, but you know, I, I think that, that, that there's travel factors and they, they would be better in their, their own division, their, their normal Pacific division, what have you, at this right. season, I think, because, you know, there's just more, I think there's just more unpredictability. Plus, you know, adding Montreal and Toronto in, like I, I'm a little bit higher on Montreal probably than most people are. Um, I think they're going to be a tough team to play against. I just, I think that there's a situation here. There's circumstances here where the Canucks could miss the playoffs and that's not to say they're going to, but if they miss the playoffs, I mean, that's kind of a disaster. The last year of Pedersen's ELC, you know, like this is, they're in the spot the Leafs were not too long ago where you you have these guys on bargains. Well, then you're going to have to pay them. And that's going to come with sort of like a a series of ripple effects. It's going to be hard to build a good team around them. And so, you know, this is a big year for the Canucks. Let's work our way East. Uh, I'm no geography major, but I believe that would be Calgary next. So why is there no buzz? I have no idea. <laughs> why is there no buzz for the Flames? Uh, why I don't really know what I'm missing here. I mean, they lost Brody, replaced him with Tanev. I think that's fine for one year. Really deep forward group, and they finally have what they've been missing, which is a legit starting netminder. Uh, it feels like it's put up or shut it down for Gaudreau and Monaghan in, in terms of like how they're going to keep bringing this back to the table. But to me, it seems like the Flames should be right up there with, you know, those considered in the running to win this division title. Are you with me on that? I'm with you. And I don't know why it's so quiet around them. I'm like, they went out and were players in free agency. Usually that's enough to get offseason buzz going. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, they won the Markstrom sweepstakes against Edmonton. Like Edmonton was the other team at the end that was there for Markstrom. And so, I mean, the, the, the goaltender with the most leverage in the market chose Calgary over Edmonton. I think looking at probably the roster and, and, you know, obviously there's special stars in the Oilers, but they have some other issues. And I'm, I'm with you. I, I think maybe because Goodrow and Monaghan almost feel like yesterday's news in this division because yeah. they, were, they were big young stars four years ago instead of two years ago. Um, and they haven't really delivered in the playoffs. But look, they won the Western Conference regular season two seasons ago. I know they lost to the upstart Avalanche in kind of dispiriting fashion. Uh, you know, things blew up on them against Dallas in, in, the, in the bubble. But, you know, I, I think the Flames actually are probably the biggest threat to the Leafs to, to win the division myself. I, I see them as the number one or two, depending on how you want to order that. And we're probably all sleeping on them. Yeah, it says something that in terms of tandems, Gaudreau and Monaghan might be the least interesting in all of Canada, except for, I guess, maybe even Ottawa, honestly. Brady Kachuk's one of my favorite players to watch, and Tim Stutzla looks like he's going to be a lot of fun. It might not be right away for him, uh, but they're certainly intriguing for that as well. Okay, uh, Edmonton, my question for you is, will the All-Canadian division bring out the best in Connor McDavid, and will that even matter because the Oilers simply just aren't good enough? Uh, yes to the best in Connor McDavid. I think it's the combination of the division and, you know, he's coming off a season where he started to take a bit of heat and, and I don't think it's justified too much to be honest, but you know, there's been a lot of talk, especially locally there in Edmonton about his defensive game and, and, and all that. I, I just think this is kind of a, mm. I see this as being like his last dance type of season and it's far from his last dance, but I think, I think there's going to be a lot of F you in Connor McDavid's demeanor to this season. That's that is uh, the best Connor McDavid. Exactly. And so I, I think he's going to be awesome. I, I'm just worried about their, their goaltending. You know, the blue line wasn't great as it is. They, they lose Larson this year. Like I, I just lose cleft bomb. Yeah. Like it, it's just their cleft bomb. It's, it's just a tough season for them, I think. Um, so yes, I think it'll be Connor McDavid's. I think this would be like an awesome season for him. If, if, if you're out there and you're a gambler, I would take him to, to win the Art Ross Trophy this year. The combination, as we spoke up earlier, about lots of goals to be had in this division. And I think he's got something to prove. He's got a stage, but I'm not sure if it's going to mean, you know, a tangible step forward for the team because hockey's not a sport, even if you're as, as singularly special as he is, where that's enough to overcome some other deficiencies. Winnipeg Jets, will the specter of the Patrick Line trade request, maybe not trade request, sabotage what happens in Winnipeg this year? Uh, potentially, for sure. You know, I, I'm, I'd be worried about that. And, you know, it, it could go two ways. Look, they, they have a pretty veteran team there. You know, guys like Shifley and Wheeler have established the culture of that team for a long time. And, and usually when that's the case, I think you can withstand some some disruption uh, because you, you built a pretty solid foundation. But, you know, I don't know how it's going to manifest itself. You know, line eight, He's great for the media. I actually, I love talking to the guy, but he might he say anything at any time. Yeah. And so this, you know, just because they've addressed it on day one or two of training camp doesn't mean it's the end of it. And I think it's going to be a very difficult, it would be a difficult trade to pull off under any circumstances, trading someone that special uh, or with that potential to really make you look bad. Uh, I think it's almost impossible under the conditions of this season where I just think player movement in general is going to be highly restricted. And so I could see this lingering and, you know, look, I, I think that the team's defensive issues aren't going to magic, magically cure themselves. If anything, you probably bet on Connor Hellebuck not having the kind of season he had last year yeah. just because, you know, goaltending performance tends to vary, and he was incredible. 
And so I, I could see where the team starts losing, the, the trade rumor stuff picks up more. I, I just think that, that that's going to be difficult for them to overcome. Plus, you know, they don't have Jack Roslovic in camp as we're talking now. I mean, it's just, I don't know where the Jets are at. I think it's a very difficult spot for them. It probably would have been ideal to, to make the line a trade before ever getting to this point, but, you know, they couldn't get uh, the kind of value they need to, to pull the trigger. And now we'll see what happens. You've touched on this a little bit, so you can keep this one uh, quite short. In Ottawa, how competitive can the Senators be? I, I don't think they're going to be very competitive. You know, their blue line is just not there uh, at all. Uh, you know, I, I get what they were doing, trying to bring in some veteran forwards, more to just make life a little bit easier on the Stutzlas and maybe even Kachucks and some of the young, uh, you know, Josh Norris, who I assume will play for them this year. Um, you know, look, they're in a, I think they're in a much better spot as an organization. They got some legit prospects, but they're, they're still, they're still a ways away from where I think they're reasonably competing for the playoffs. It'd be interesting to see what Matt Murray can give them in goal, uh, after coming from, from Pittsburgh. But, you know, I, I, I clearly see them finishing seventh. I, I almost see no way that it, it breaks any other way. You know, even if they perform a little bit beyond my expectations, I still think they're, they're quite a ways behind the pack. And so, you know, they finished seventh, but it's not necessarily a bad thing in this case because they're going to get another high draft pick. And I think that, that good days are on the horizon there. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm honestly excited to see the Senators this year because I just think that there's there's parts that, you know, this is a process. Everybody goes through this process, but they've got some nice players to to build around, obviously, and some some that sort of demand my attention, at least. I, I do want to see uh, Ottawa this year. I think they're going to be a little bit more interesting than, than previous years, obviously. Uh, and last stop is Montreal. Um, you mentioned that you thought they had a pretty good offseason. I know you're up against time, so we can make this as quick as possible. Uh, but will zigging while everyone else is zagging in the division be to their benefit you think this year yeah like they're not a sexy team really from the outside right that they, they don't have the kind of sticker appeal of some of the other teams but i think that they're going to play like a team and you know what i like about them is i think they're just going to be a pain in the ass quite honestly mm -hmm. to to go against and you know having a line like uh gallagher deno and tatar which they, they they've rolled out in camp like i think that's going to be a line that can match up against some of the the the, the higher profile players in the division, you know, obviously I, I, I think Suzuki's in, in a good spot in terms of, you know, someone who might take a step forward. I like the Josh Anderson addition. I know last year was miserable and he had injuries and scored one goal and what have you, but, you know, to me, I, I like what they're, they're doing there and they finally got Carey Price a backup. I mean, that's, that's probably not being discussed enough, but I think bringing Jake Allen in, especially under the circumstances of this season will ease Price's workload that that will probably lead to a better price. And he's still showing like in the bubble, he had game. You know, I, I don't think, I think it's too soon to, to think that we're on the full decline here with Kerry Price. And so I think all those reasons, yeah, they're not a Stanley Cup favorite, nor should they be. But to me, I think they're, they're going to play, play you hard. I think they'll be a difficult opponent. And I, I see them making the playoffs. Honestly, I think that they're going to squeeze out one of the teams in Western Canada that, that, you know, all, all of Vancouver, Edmonton, and Calgary expect to make the playoffs this year. Mm -hmm. And I think one of them is going to miss as a result of Montreal being a little bit better than, than most other people do. Yeah, I think Montreal is there as well. I think this schedule actually sets up pretty well for them. I think if they can distill this into mini series, like I think we saw the best of Montreal when it could be in this playoff mode, if they could sort of harness that uh, and, and make it seem like, okay, we're win this three-game series against Edmonton, then win this three-game series against Vancouver, uh, I think they can be very successful with how they're constructed. I think it's going to be, I think we're one of the most interesting teams this year for sure. And getting Corey Perry to troll the whole division was just a, a masterclass move at the end uh, right before camp.
Exactly. As if the North Division could get any better, we just injected a little Corey Perry at the end. Uh, it's the it's the perfect antidote, I think, for what should be an exciting season. CJ, I will see you at the rink. When I do see you at the rink, I, I really, really appreciate you having, on it, uh, having you on uh, and you taking the time. Awesome. Have a great season and uh, good luck with the new podcast. Thanks, man. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.